0: On tonight's show, it's all about the waiver wire, managing your free agent budgets, managing your rosters, and more. We've got waiver wire picks, pitcher preview, injury report, and an extended mailbag. NFBC veteran Vlad Sedler joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift Podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Best team in baseball, New York Mets. So, it's a fun season so far. Uh, Did you see that game on uh, Monday where they came back with five runs in the ninth?
1: Yes, and I also saw the game where Nolan Arenado incited a bench-clearing scuffle, (laughs) where... Pete Alonzo was thrown to the ground by someone. I forgot his name. Do you know who his name was? It was a weird coach. coach. Yeah. I, I've never seen that before. So you get a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of hit-by-pitch. I think the pitchers are having issues gripping the ball. I mean, that's what they're saying. You know, I hope that doesn't lead to more injuries. That's all.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see as the season goes on. Certainly, it seems that the Mets were plagued by all these hit-by-pitches. But, hey, we're in first place, so all is well. We've got a fantastic show today. Want to welcome onto the show, Vlad Sedler of FTN Fantasy does a great job with the site and with the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Fantastic NFBC player. How many leagues are you in uh, again, Vlad?
2: Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, twenty eight this season, but a lot of those are are uh, draft and holds.
0: Uh, there you go, there you go. Welcome to the show. We were talking before the show started. You have zero shares of Ed Alberto Mondesi. Good for you.
2: You know, it just kind of worked out that way. Uh, I remember telling myself later in draft season, not for my big drafts, but on, on a couple of drafts, I was like, you know what? If he falls to a certain point, like past his ADP a round or two, I think I might consider it just to get a slice. It never worked out. There was always somebody that wanted him more than me, and uh, I guess it's uh, all all for the better, at least for my teams. Right.
0: Well, there you go. Risk and uh, Edelberman, he's certainly wishing the best to him. And uh, if you do have him in, in fantasy baseball... You can drop him right now. Uh, st- strategy section for today. We'll jump right into it. going to talk a little bit about uh, when to drop players, when to sit players, cold players. We're going to talk about fab. Certainly, Vlad is one of the masters in the industry here of uh, fab, so we'll get his take on that. And we'll do some mailbag. We've got a long mailbag today. A lot of great questions, so want to have time to get to that. And we'll start right here. Um, Vlad... Talking about cold players and, you know, there's always players who they're just not going well. And the question is, do you sit them? Do you cut them? When do you keep playing? For example, uh, Joey Gallo. Uh, Before this week, he was doing absolutely nothing. I own him in a couple of places. Uh, You know, in one league I I do with Derek Carty, like, should we sit Gallo? And he's like, no. You do not sit Joey Gallo. You know, performance to date here is just not predictive of what's coming in the future. He's been hitting the ball well. Absolutely no reason he'll get it going at Yankee Stadium. And certainly, Gallo's had a great week so far. Whereas I see another player like Rafael Ortega, and I think it's time to just cut bait on him even in deeper leagues. How do you know, Vlad, when you should be sitting players, when you should be just rolling with them, even if they're playing badly, when it's time to cut? What what are your general guidelines for how you do it?
2: Well, it's something that we get better at every every season, as long as we're learning from uh, from previous mistakes and just through experience. Uh, but for me, I'm always uh, I'm always digging and trying to find the root cause of something. Uh, Sometimes there just isn't one. Sometimes it's just a slump, and you can occasionally sit sit players. uh, Even sometimes your studs, yeah. But uh, for example, Austin Meadows, Trevor Story, those guys haven't hit homers yet this season. Neither is Bobby Wood Jr. nor uh, Julio Rodriguez. I'm not particularly worried about them. I'm typically not going to sit them, especially Julio or Witt because they are stealing bases. Uh, But then, like for example, you got somebody like Joey Votto, where you, you know we kind of know exactly what the root cause is. He's been Uh, tweaking his approach and kind at at the plate a a little too much he he, he's admitted as much and you know perhaps I'll I'll pounce when uh, when when he's uh, when when somebody drops him Um, fringe guys a little bit of a different story you kind of have to decide if you want to sit or bench Um, and then someone like Rafael Ortega look I mean he's I'm looking like is he getting moved down into the lineup I mean he's still getting plenty of opportunities to hit lead off against right-handed pitchers um, but if I see, for example, a bunch of left-handed pitchers coming up, I know I'm going to sit them, you know, it just, just makes sense, uh, uh because he's not going to be in the lineup. And so, you know, I'm always evaluating each week if there's a better long-term option or is it a streamer and then trying to figure out like the person I'm dropping, will I regret it, regret it or not? Um, and I guess maybe the final example would be, uh, Brendan Rogers, for example, he's somebody that I was a big fan of coming into the season, uh, so long as he stayed healthy. He was crushing it at the end of last year. Uh, he was notably, uh, by by quite a few accounts, the Rockies' best hitter in camp. Uh, but he's been awful this season. What could it be? Well, he was just scratched with back tightness the, the other day. I think he even missed a couple of games because of it. Hmm, is it the same back tightness that was affecting him on opening weekend? Just a little something, you know, tidbit I noticed in the beginning of the year. Well, that might be our likely cause. So, you know, in the case of Brandon Rodgers, who— I drafted in you know, the other 150, 180 uh, ADP range. That's somebody that I'm probably going to stand firm on. I don't mind. Uh, you know, he's got a bad back. I'm probably not going to play him at Coors this weekend if I have better options. Um, you know, if it's somebody like Gavin Lux uh, over the weekend who gets two lefties, maybe I'll leave Rogers in there. But it always really just depends uh, on the situation. But I'm trying to find the root cause.
1: Yeah, I I do agree with that. Um, A lot of things that that are going on during the beginning of the season can affect how the player plays, whether they sign a new contract. Look at Carlos Correa. He's not hitting at all right now. He's hitting 167. But he's the guy you can't really sit. Look at a guy like Fran Moraes. He's a power guy. He's hitting one in the 150s right now. It's cold in the northeast. It's cold in the north right now. And it hasn't warmed up. And so batting averages hasn't warmed up. The power hasn't been shown yet. So I think that may be playing into it a little bit. But then when you get to a player, I'm going to give him also another example, Akil Badu. He was pretty good last year, and people got him this year for stolen bases. But he's starting to be sitting down, sat down by the manager. And if, he, if players you see start losing playing time, or they turn into a, a platoon situation, then I think it's getting close to the time when you want to start cutting the players.
0: Yeah, both good points. It's about injuries. If there's an injury going on, that's a, a, a clue. Uh, if they're certainly if they're still getting the playing time, and they have a pedigree or they've got a track record. Or you've invested quite a lot of money, uh, that's something to to consider. Hey, listen, they've done it before. Maybe they're just uh, uh, in a slump. Uh, check their their luckiness. Check their babip. Check check their, check their uh, um, whether they're hitting the ball hard for pitchers. Check their strikeouts and walks. Uh, those are good things to check. Now, Vlad, does it differ for you in terms of sitting hitters versus pitchers? Because, and I ask this question because you know if you sit. If if you play a hitter and he's ice cold, so eh, he'll go one hundred for the week. He'll get just a couple hits, nothing. You know, it doesn't. It, you're certainly not getting counting stats, but it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt any ratios. When you've got a pitcher who comes in and bombs, holy cow, that's gonna crush your ratios. That's a lot more dangerous. Of course, if you you know don't play them and they have a great week, you lose a great start. But the downside is a lot larger with the fact that it affects ratios. Does it differ for you in your approach? To sitting uh, hitters versus pitchers,
2: I feel like you can get in a uh, very dangerous game of uh, incorrectly timing pitchers. And what happens is a lot of us are very innately reactive to uh, a bad start. You're going to want to almost spite sit or drop a you know a pitcher. Um, me playing a lot of DFS, I think, has really helped me sort of fine tune that approach where I'm not automatically going to bench a uh maybe bottom of my rotation uh starting pitcher just because he coming off the bad start maybe he gets the diamondbacks this week or or the reds and and and, or the pirates and and things will kind of bounce back for him so it's kind of what i do in uh in dfs same thing like you know julio urias was a great play for me the week after he got bombed in colorado i know velocity was down it took a little chance with uh, against the reds he threw a gem same thing, Freddie Peralta coming off a couple of bad starts to the season. Hey, it's Freddie Peralta. I figure he'll be okay. Uh, pop him in the lineup, and it's good. Uh, with you know, it it feels different with pitchers because there almost feels like there's a, also a bigger chance you might regret dropping them, right? Like you value them highly, yeah. They struggle early after a shortened spring training that we were having, maybe a slight velocity drop, and then you got to think, you know, am I waiting it out? Uh, Charlie Morton's a good example, right? I mean, like people that drafted him invested highly in him. I don't think that he's somebody that you can just drop, right? Uh, maybe he's toast. He's almost forty. Um, I don't necessarily think so. I think maybe you know, just going through a little funk. Maybe the shortened season and so, uh, spring training had something to do with it. And you can bench in those situations, but um, but yeah, a lot of it has to do with timing and just going, kind of challenging yourself and going against that grain of oh, this guy screwed me this week. Uh, you know, he need, he needs to kind of suffer for that, and that's just not kind of smart fantasy playing, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between cutting and benching. I I, I have uh, in TGFBI, I have Charlie Morton, and I benched him. Now, I also have a very good staff. I have a lot of fantastic options. I threw an extra reliever. I've got, I think, four closers almost on my team. So I just, you know, until he turns it around, let me get that extra save opportunity because I had a good option. Sometimes you don't have a, a good replacement option, but there's no problem in my mind in sitting somebody slumping if you think there's something going on. If if I see a pitcher's velocity drop and they're doing poorly, I'll also I'll also not play them. I won't drop them right away. Um, you know, but so on and so forth. Now, if you're in a situation that you like the NFBC where you have uh you have limited spots, how do you know when to to drop uh, a player? take take Eloy Jimenez, all right? He's going to be out for a considerable time. Now, if if you cut him from your team, is somebody actually picking him up next week? In your opinion?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. There there'd be no doubt. Yeah, in in FBC, um, you know that's an interesting one. It a lot of things that I'm I'm taking into account with a situation like that. I'm looking at their their draft capital. Um, you know the, the the their draft value. Obviously, it's it's tougher to drop a guy taken 70th overall as opposed to somebody. You know, it, or dropping Jock Peterson in a 12-teamer if he continues to have a growing issue and maybe being able to get him back later. There's a big difference there. Uh, you know, expected fab value of how much they might go for when they're dropped. Uh, I'm also looking at the type of injury, uh, the length of injury. And um, it, it also depends on how many stashes or injured guys you already have on your roster. Uh, I play primarily NFPC where we play with seven-player benches. I want to be able to have the roster flexibility. Um, you know, it's part of the reason why I didn't even mess with even like going after guys like Chris Sale. It's like I I already know I'm going to get hit with the injury bug at some point in the season. I'm going to lose that roster flexibility, especially if I don't have a lot of multi-position eligible guys. So I want to be able to uh, bring players in uh, when I can into my lineup. And when you have too many of those guys dragging you down, it really stings, right? I mean, there's nothing worse than having a seven-player bench and five or six of your guys are, are on IL or rookies waiting to come up. There's you know, it, it really does end up hurting you in the long run. Um, you know, it, with Eloy, for example, I mean, just, hey, first of all, poor guy seems to be snake bit, just horrible luck all the time. We went through this exact scenario last season, uh, but, you know, six to eight weeks, it's a long time, but it flies by quickly. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't really have much Eloy. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for people that are in that position, but like in a 15 team, for, for example, definitely you don't drop him in a 12-teamer, you probably don't, but it really just depends on on uh, your situation because you know uh, at some point he's going to be coming back and, and probably will be mashing.
1: And here's a, here's a follow-up question to that. If you see that Eloy is available in one of your leagues, how much are you willing to spend on him, and would you actually go after him the first week that he's available?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, so he might be cut in a couple of leagues this week, and, and I can foresee that happening. Uh, it really just depends on my yeah you know, my, my team construct at the time and how much fab I have left. I know there I have some, uh, so 15 teamers, I'm pretty sure he's not getting dropped in some of my 12 team uh, online championships. I could see him getting dropped in, in some of those leagues. I only have five, 600 left of my thousand dollar budget and a couple others. I have 900 and I uh, will look at maybe the depth of my outfield and I'll look at how many injured guys I have already uh, on the bench and what my flexibility is uh, and then I'll make a decision based on that. But, uh, sometimes I just let guys go, you know. Like I, I, feel like I don't have to have everything, and I'll put a keep them honest bit in there. But if somebody's going to end up spending 400 on Eloy Jimenez, you know, I mean, you know, bless you. <laughs> it's just not going to be me. Um, at least not in the 12 team format where, um, I mean, how do you put this? Like you, you may not. I feel like there will always be somebody that can give you replacement value on an Eloy. In a twelve teamer for you know a couple of weeks, if you're if you're streaming correctly,
0: yeah. Obviously, the depth of the league matters, and uh, you know your format. If you have an IL, obviously you're not going to drop Eloy. Uh, listen, if you have a limited IL, you probably are still not dropping Eloy as well, so on and so forth. Uh, but this brings us to to our Fab discussion, and you know you're known as the Roto Gut, and. You know, we've talked plenty about, you know, going with uh, going with a number, a target number versus going with your gut. And just to throw it out there to you, what do you mean by going going with your gut? Like, how how do you feel out what in general, what to bid on a player? And we'll talk about a little bit more specific situations. But, you know, talk about what, what it is about feeling your gut.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, it's kind of a a catch all because it, of course, does involve uh, informed analysis and, uh, you know, making a decision based on what I think will get that player without having to overspend. And you can uh, yeah obviously playing in specific types of leagues like I'm playing in FPC for a long time. So you kind of know, you know, new new closer kind of pops in. You kind of know what the value of that of that player is or uh, somebody that. Grabs a save on a Sunday. It looks like he's going to be the closer. You 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 kind of just know the range about what they'll, they're going to go. And then of course it depends on your team and 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 uh, you know your your team context. I'm sure we'll talk about closers in a bit. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's making informed decisions based on uh, your you know, how what the bid history is in that league, what your your needs are, and what value you feel that that player can bring to your team. Because obviously. That thousand dollars can be can go really quickly, and I know that I myself am a little bit of an um, overspender, I think, early on. And, and it's not that I'm going after any one or two particular guys and spending 20 30% of my budget, but I am always constantly looking to improve my team on all facets, and, and sometimes maybe just going for the gusto on something like I, you know, after week one. I, uh, had an outfield bench spot and, and in, and in 15 teamers, and I used it to, to to give it a shot on, on Cooper Hummel. Didn't spend very much, but just to see what I have there, you know, it, it, if I ended up dropping him, which I did, it wouldn't cost me much just to see if he could rise to the occasion, get consistent playing time. But it was clear that he was pretty much just getting the opportunity to hit against left handers. And so I moved on kind of knowing also when to cut bait is a, I think an important part of it as well.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned the, the the fact that you know by feel what players go for in your format, and I think that's the most important thing. Is if you do have a league history or a history of the format, knowing what types of players go for in a certain format is your first key what to do, and then you know you want to bid just a little bit on top of that so that you can win a player with a reasonable bid. Is there a, a part of you that says, you know, too, much is too much? I mean, you mentioned before I wouldn't spend 400 bucks on, you know, some, uh, on an injury player there. But, uh, you know, closer comes up. Um, you know, last year we had, you know, Meriwether on, on the, the Blue Jays, and we had a couple of people in the uh, NFC main events go $350. Certainly that was a bust. That's to me when I saw that bid, wow, that was too much. I don't spend more than about 10, 15% of my budget ever on a single closer in any scenario. Do you have a general rule for knowing how much is too much on players?
2: Yeah, I, I'm typically not the person to spend 200-plus uh, on a closer, unless it, it really is a you know once every few years. You can't pass up to this opportunity. You just feel in your bones that this guy is going to have long-term value. Uh, I did not have that feeling with, uh, with Julian Mer- Merriweather, and I went into the season actually in a good spot with most of my teams with closer where I didn't feel even the urge to, to have to spend that much. And so I made a conscious decision that I'm going to be rooting against Julian Mer- Merriweather becoming a thing. And it did end up uh, working out my way, unfortunately, through injury there. Uh, but hey, I still ended up spending uh, a lot of money. I I mean, I alone picked up and dropped Rafael Dolis on a team three times last year. Um, you know, it, it, it happens. I mean, even this past week, I had a 15-teamer where I feel like, you know, I really need a closer. Like, I think I forgot what happened. My... Number two guy just it, it didn't pan out. I think my number two right now is like Hansel Robles, who obviously isn't even a closer. And uh, Chris Stratton was available and he had those couple of saves. I think it was like Thursday and Friday. And then I think Bednar got the next one and then uh, and that kind of dropped his price a little bit. It was one of those things where if there was no save opportunity and Bednar had not gotten a save, the assumption with people uh, kind of hot on things happening on the weekend, their assumption might be, oh. Stratton's the closer. Let's pay you know, 100 plus bucks on him. And so, you know, I I ended up even lowering my bid on him. I'm like, okay, I know Bednar's the better pitcher, but I kind of need saves. I know he's going to get some opportunity. Uh, Seattle's Andres Munoz is going to go for way too much. I'll, I'll put in Munoz first on my top of my bids, um, and then we'll just see what happens. So I ended up even lowering my Stratton bid, still got him, and still kind of overspent. So you know, sometimes you just don't know um, as well, like it, it, crazy things happen and every league is kind of it, it, its own unique animal.
1: And knowing the fact that a lot of these teams in your league have spent 30% of their budget or 40% of the budget already, does that affect the way you bid in the future? Because you know that the really aggressive players are almost quote unquote out of it unless they want to spend all their money in the first two months. Does that affect how you place your, your fab bids for the for the next couple of weeks? Because you know that the most aggressive players have already used their aggression?
2: Yeah, and especially if I've already had uh, a couple of aggressive weeks and I'm over the pace on my weekly spent, you know, allowance, right? Because if, it, you know, whatever it is, like $37 uh, over the course of a 20-week season, I mean, a 26-week season, that goes by really fast. And if you've uh, spent over 100 the couple first few weeks, you're, you're sort of over. And it's okay. It can be sort of top-heavy in the the earlier part of the season. Uh, but I'm always looking for those weeks where maybe I can just get away with cheaper uh, options, right? Like a a week where I don't have to spend 50 plus on someone, and I'm happy with who my conditional uh, backups are, my, my conditional bids behind those players, like maybe I like those guys almost as much, and I'll just kind of make that top bid a uh, you know on that top player that everybody wants. I'll just throw a keep them honest bid on it, and just in case I can get them, but I really make sure that I cover my bases with those secondary tertiary guys that, Hey, I'll be happy if I end up getting, you know, player Y as opposed to, you know, the, the guy that everybody wants. So
0: I look at things from the mathematical perspective of both return on investment and also from an economic market. Um, You know, obviously I do look at what, you know, players are going in certain formats and that's all very important. But to me, you know f- obviously anybody cheaper is is better right free is free and cheaper is good. You certainly want to take stabs at players a week before they're the thing before you have to pay for them because if I can buy a player for one percent of my budget versus seven percent of my budget, whatever you generate is better right you you if you have in the nfpc you've got $1000 and by the way for for the rest of this uh, talk today we'll assume it's a $1000 family cuz that's what you know um, the nfpc is uh, vlad plays most of that so you know $1000 you want to make use of every single dollar to the fullest right i don't want to throw away $40 on something i want to make every dollar count the fullest so to to maximize that play, you always want to get players as cheap as possible. I'm always looking for the, okay, who can I get that's going to maximize my return uh, on that? If by throwing out 35% on a closer, you're not going to get the production worthy of that. Even if he's the guy, to me, you're not going to get that actual production from 35% of your fab because it doesn't really leave you anything there. Now, the other thing I would say from a mathematical perspective or from an economic perspective is you know, it's not like a closer has to go for a certain price or you must spend X percent of your dollars by midseason. General guideline is maybe you spend two thirds of your budget by midseason, but it really depends on what everybody else in the market is doing. If everybody in your league is going slow, you do not want to overspend early because your purchasing power will be very limited later on. Right? If everybody has 70% of their budget left and you only have 20% later on, you're not going to get anybody because everybody's going to be worth more. Uh, likewise, on the on the flip end, if everybody's spending quite a lot, if you're not spending enough in the early going like everybody else in the league, you're not going to afford yourself the better players early on, which, of course, Early on, you're keeping players for the entire season. You're going to get players all you want in the last half of the season, but you only get them for half the season. I think it's very important to keep track of where everybody else is in the league and how the purchasing power is going. And every league is different. Sure, the NFBC might have some standards that people are used to, but in, in your home league it might be different. Keep track of where everybody is. You want to go with the flow. Stay somewhere in the middle is my general advice. And that's what I do in the auctions. If I'm spending too much early, that's not a good sign. If I'm not spending enough too early, that's not a good sign. Put yourself in place to have roughly the same purchasing power as everybody else uh, as much as you can. Obviously, if you see really good buy, if you're in desperation, you need a player here, obviously you're going to have to – Spend more money if you are doing well and you don't need pickups. Don't, but in general, that's a good thing to keep tabs on where everybody is because it's an economic issue as well as to the fantasy issue.
2: Do You agree with that, Vlad? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's one of the most uh, underrated uh, things that people can do. Strategies is is having a, a pulse on your your league and and, and the, the the you always even in the higher stakes leagues, there's always going to be somebody that is uh you're, you're always going to have leagues where there are uh players that are little uh, managers that are looser with their drops you're always going to get some you know some some sort of gem uh you know that falls uh, you just never know uh it, it, you know you just come across these leagues where there's a, a shocking drop made every couple of times a month and uh, you can't always anticipate those but you usually want to Be able to get in on the bidding on something like that. And, uh, you know, kind of even looking back on to see how players are spending in your leagues, even if you know some of the players by names and you might know some of their preferences from Twitter, uh, something like that is really helpful. Um, You know, I mean, a a person that we both know, or I think you guys know him, uh, main event player, Anthony Gialdi. This past week, uh, somebody dropped Jesse Winker in his 15 team main event. And I know Anthony that he was kind of hemming and hawing all week, trying to figure out like what he was, what it would take to get Winker, because he really wanted to get Winker on his team. And so obviously, knowing he was gonna have to spend a pretty penny for him, I think he was considering anywhere from as low as like 250 all the way up to 550. And uh, and again, you know, he ended up I think getting him in the higher end, uh, but he got him. I think he 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 moved his bid up from like 400 to 500 at the last minute and ended up overbidding by 80, which is fine. And and, and it's obviously a bigger difference. Uh, It's not as big of a deal overspending by 80 when you're spending that much as opposed to, you know, kind of on, you know, if you're spending 80 opposed to somebody spending one, there's a big difference. And at that point, you know, obviously he's just gonna hope that he or that Winker earns his ADP, which was, you know, 130, 150-ish, and that he bounces back from his slow start. And then at that point, you probably won't feel as bad about spending it much. But I know one thing for sure is Anthony will probably be hyper-focused on how Winker going to be doing all season and probably sensitive to the fact that, hey, I spent so much money for this guy that he's going to have to produce. But gems like that don't obviously get dropped very often in a, in a 15-team competitive uh, high-stakes league.
1: I th- I, th- I think your bids also depend on the player pool and who you're going after. If you need to replace your second catcher, you're not going to spend like two hundred bucks to get a second catcher, no matter what. You're not going to spend more than twenty bucks, I don't think. But if you need, let's say, an outfielder, and there's been a rash of a- outfield injuries that week, those outfielders are going to go for more money just because there's going to be more of a demand of the for th- for the teams to get those outfielders. So I think it ha- you have to base it on what's going on in the league what's going on with playing time for all the for the player pool for the, what you're looking for whether it's an outfielder whether it's an infielder like if you need to th- like people had mondes who is a third baseman so third baseman people who have him need to replace him with a third baseman so the the value for the third baseman in in for fab money may be a little bit higher this week as opposed to other weeks just because there's more of a demand in that in that for that uh
0: position yeah and one thing I'll look at if I need a third baseman for a certain week or want a third baseman I'll actually take a look at other teams to see who else needs the third baseman that week. Certainly if I need a third baseman this week, I'm going to look and see, well, which team needs Mondesi and I'm going to try to guess what player that, that team wants. And I'm going to guess well how much I think they're going to go for that player. And if I'm interested in paying that price, then I'll try to beat it. Right, that it's important to look around in your league and see. Okay, wait a minute. What are other teams need? Then just like when you're doing in, in an auction, you know, some of the bids in the end are well. That guy needs a second baseman. I got a bid more. Right. It, it it's always dependent upon the market. Uh, it's very very important. This game is some baseball, but it's a lot economics. It really mm-hmm. is.
2: Absolutely. and You actually bring up a really good point about Mondesi. That's something that uh, people are going to have to be dealing with. Those that did draft him up if they do not have somebody there in their back uh, if they don't have a strong other corner infielder or they just need to replace them they're going to have to start thinking about what happens if I don't get uh, player x who is the top third baseman in the pool because the last thing somebody wants to do is having to stream their third baseman every week and worry about that in in in, uh, in, in fab every week it's one thing if you're doing that with your second catcher third baseman's a kind of a different story so that's where the importance of those uh, setting the priorities on your conditional bids comes into play because uh, you want to just, you 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 can look at it two ways, right? Like, you know, say, uh, I don't know, let's, let's just say Colin Moran is a third baseman. He's awesome. He's just having an incredible season. We think he's fantastic, and he's just the top option. I just, you know, brought up just a random name, and then all these other guys behind him, like, you know, I don't know, Sheldon Noisy just got third base eligibility. There's Mikel Franco and all these other guys that don't really have that appeal of somebody that you can use for for the entire season but you do have to spend that extra time looking into okay where do they hit in the lineup are they you know hitting for more power uh, these days do they steal bases like what does my team need and then kind of set your conditionals uh, behind that top option to to hopefully run into somebody you don't have to stream all year you just kind of fill it in and, and they work for you for the entire season
1: And Mondesi happens to be a unique case because the Royals don't need a new third baseman. They have a third base array. Bobby Witt's playing third base. They brought up an outfielder. So it's not like you can't even bid on the replacement for for Mondesi to take a position because they brought up an outfielder. So he's a very unique
2: case also. Oh, and, and, and one more thing, actually. Another element of this is those that lost Mondesi are going to be even more hypersensitive on trying to find some speed. Right, because you, you lose such a big thing, guy. You probably didn't also draft Miles Straw or Tommy Edmond or whomever. If you did, hey, you're, you're set. But you're going to have to be kind of uh, looking for that category in, in addition to position. You're now looking for uh, a, a category that may not there may not even be someone to to fill that hole for you all year, unless, for example, Tim LaCastro gets a full time job.
0: Yeah, you know, of course we we of course on this podcast have been telling you that. Uh, Players that have extreme profile risk, and what I mean by profile risk is that they're so unbalanced in their categories that their value is weighted towards any one single category, Uh, they have more risk because if they either underperform or if they get injured, the dent to your overall categories for your aggregate team takes a hit. And that's true about Mondesi. It's also true about saves, by the way. Um, If your closer gets hurt, it's very, very tough on your team because it affects that category. Now, for closers, it's kind of hard to really figure, but for steals— Maybe there's a better way to get it in general. We're talking draft here. Uh, obviously, it doesn't apply in the beginning of the season, but you know this is a, a just this highlights what the the profile risk is when you see a guy like Mondesi going down. Um, now we, we we're talking very generally, and obviously it, it matters on your specific team and it's case dependent. But let's just talk some uh, some numbers in general. I'm, the, I'm a number guy, so I like to get a good gauge. Um, if you have Vlad, if you have a, a hitter. Um, for a weekly play that you think a uh, good matchup playing at Colorado or he's a uh, righty and hits lefties and he's facing a lot of lefties, you're only intending to, for him to play this week it's basically a streamer. We're talking 1% to 2% max in terms of buy. Is that fair? Yes. Right. Okay. And same thing with pitchers. For you know, you're getting for the one start or for the two start, you don't really intend to hold them. and Maybe you do if if they're if they're successful. But we're also talking maybe two to three percent of your budget max. Is that fair also?
2: Yeah, I think it depends on the 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 quality of the of the pitcher and uh, what our expectations are for them. Right. We're in this uh, land of of the unknown with with so many of these guys where you have to uh, kind of take a stand and just kind of not go with the hype of what everyone else is doing and seeing and sort of make your own decisions on guys like, uh, and again, I'm getting a little bit more specific and maybe a little off topic, but, uh, you know, Paul Blackburn, for example, is this for real what we're seeing? You know, Bruce Zimmerman, obviously, we know he's not going to have a one ERA for the entire season or, you know, or same with Blackburn, but maybe these are breakout guys and, 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 but and maybe they're not, right? And so we have to sort of make those decisions where, um if you're sticking too tight to a specific uh, percentage you pretty much don't have a chance on those guys maybe you can luck into someone similar later but i think as the season kind of moves on it's going to be harder to to get those guys Like, kind of now is the time to get them the one thing i remember is lucas giolito's breakout season uh he was either a late round pick in in 12 teamers or pretty much picked up in fab like i added giolito in his breakout year in fab in week two just kind of recognizing, hmm, something's different here. He was a former first-round pick uh, with, uh, you know, with the Diamondbacks. He was supposed to be a stud, and he's just been one of the worst pitchers in baseball the last couple of years. But maybe there's something to this, and you just kind of, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and, and run with it.
0: What do you do for hot players? That uh, you know, a guy is really hot. Um, first week, second week, maybe it's a little bit different. But now we're getting into the first, the end of the first month. You see a hot player, streaky, a lot of times you want to ride them while they're hot. Maybe they last, maybe they won't. What's your general gauge in terms of fab budget for hot players?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the the depth of the league because I feel like 10, 12 teamers, I think we have to worry about that last 15 or, fifteen teamers and, and up were really kind of uh, looking and hoping to nail that gem. Uh, the perfect example comes to mind is Taylor Ward because Taylor Ward is absolutely crushing it and he is actually somebody to me that seems could actually stick around and and be a very profitable fantasy player this year and I deeply regret that I did not get any shares. I really sort of uh, kept my my bids for him in check that week and there were a lot of things first of all that that made me that I felt made me should have bid on him. first of all, I've always kind of been a random Taylor Ward fan because, you know, he used to have that catcher eligibility. I know he's a former first round pick. He's always kind of crushed in the minors. And I always felt like he never really got a chance in the Angels lineup. They're always kind of bringing him up when someone's hurt, and he just never gets like a full chance to play. Joe Madden had a po- very positive quote about him. He was hitting in the middle of that lineup. He had a, a home run and st- a stolen base in his first game. And there were a lot of good things a- about him. And it- it's funny if he had just maybe just not had a stolen base. It's really something as small as that just hit a home run. And that's it. He probably would have gone for a lot cheaper. I would have gotten some shares, but he was going for, you know, at this time, 10, 15% of budgets in some cases, like I saw him going for one fifty. uh, you know, mostly he was going, you know, 60, $70 of a thousand dollar budget. Um, but yeah, I just kind of kept my bids in check and, and, and with him, I'm kind of, uh, kind of regretting it in the Steven Kwan example. Uh, obviously, we knew, I think everyone knew he wasn't going to be hitting 800, probably somebody that was going to be of, of good fantasy value. But when the season is new and fresh, everyone is even more eager to get involved into something like that. And so, my analysis of that market at the time was Stephen Kwan's going to go for a lot of money. He's going to go for like 200 plus. And I, that's just not worth it to me because I feel like, okay, maybe there might not be a Stephen Kwan per se that pops up again, um, kind of like a Michael Brantley, good average guy, but like, hey, at some point, you know, maybe Nick Madrigal is hitting, uh, you know, stealing bases and and hitting 350. At some point, David Fletcher comes back. There are those type of guys. To me, he wasn't somebody worth spending on. Ward feels a little different because the power, the speed, the middle of Angels lineup, now he's been leading off. It just, you know, you just kind of feel somebody who could be a long-termer as opposed to just like somebody you may end up dropping occasionally, eventually.
0: I always look for uniqueness of profile. The more unique a profile a player is, the more you should be paying for him. Closers of course have a very unique profile. They save games. Uh players who have a high average and don't do very much, um there are other guys who can fill in at times. You need not spend as they don't have a unique profile. Ruven, you're the uh, I you're the I can pick up speed on the waiver Wire guy. Um, what do you do when, you know, if your team is short, you're towards the bottom, uh, and you see some, somebody on the wire that has so far four stolen bases, what, what kind of fab bit are you doing when you see that and you need some speed?
1: Well, it depends on their role. If they're not playing, if not a full-time player, I'm not going to spend that much money. I am going to spend some because I used to be a very, very big um, Jared Dyson guy. I loved having him on my bench just in case I wanted to throw him every any any week just to try to get stolen bases. But if he's not playing, if the player's not playing every day, or he's not playing every other day. He's playing maybe twice or three times a week, and that's it. Then I'd probably spend, I'd say maybe fifteen or twenty percent, just because I want that guy on my bench. I wanna have that just in case I get an injury or something or I wanna throw stolen bases or I don't like let's say I have Joey Gallo have having their Joey Gallo on the team and I don't want Joey Gallo's power and I wanna have the stolen base guy for that week. I may just flip flop just for a week because I it's it's worth it in the long run, but it's so hard for me to spend any any more than that because I just it's it it's not worth it for picking up let's say a quote unquote Billy Hamilton type player if you're only going to get that one category and that's it if it, if if they have a unique profile where they're also stealing bases and have a pretty decent average then I'd stick them in there but if they if they're doing that then they're probably playing playing every day
0: yeah um and to to wrap up the discussion on Fab uh, we do have to talk about closers Vlad um. How do you know when to pick up a closer? There's always the, you know, shortfire closers. Then there's the closer darts. There's the guys who look really good in the eighth inning. There's the times when you see the closers are struggling. Maybe now's the time to get the next in line player. How do you play it? When do you look to acquire these players? How much are you bidding on them? What's your strategy for closers? And there could be a big range, as we mm-hmm. saw last year. You know, what, what, what's your take on how to play this?
2: My, well, my number one strategy, absolutely, is to draft in a way uh, that I avoid it. So I'm going into the season with a set three closers, uh, if I can, right? If, if it's a 15-teamer, that's a lot tougher to, to pull off. Got to get a little lucky. You know, I think last year I ended up with a lot of late-round Alex Reyes, so that ended up saving my hide in a lot of spots. But uh, um, that's the first step, is putting yourself in a position to not have to chase it over the course of the season, sometimes things happen. Sometimes you, there's no choice, and uh, you know someone gets uh, get, gets traded, or, or just you know mad, madness ensues, and nothing you can do. Um, for me, uh, it, it's tough. Like I, I feel like I'm more in tune with bullpens than ever before. Uh, for example, Seattle. Like everybody loves Andres Munoz. You could just tell before this coming weekend, especially after the save, that he was going to be expensive, and by expensive. 10 15% of of the total original budgets. So, so you know he, you knew that he was going to go 100 plus in some places and then you have to decide is that something worth paying for and then you start looking into the Seattle bullpen like okay well uh okay Drew Steckenrider just had a little bit of a cold uh, streak here you know had a couple of bad games and then you've got uh, Paul it's probably coming back kind of more the leverage guy but he's you know, he'll come off covid IL at some point they still have Diego Castillo we you know at some point Ken Giles may return maybe maybe not but anyways we we kind of knew that this was a sort of a Tampa Bay situation where they may not necessarily just let it ride with one guy like even if Munoz is great they still might need him in the seventh or eighth sometimes and so you know that I think that it has a lot to do with it whether uh, what the team context is because what we're ideally looking for is somebody that's just locked into a role and could be worth it. Um, one good example also would be jorge lopez somebody as a starting pitcher who has been literally the worst starting pitcher in baseball over the last few years uh as a reliever and in some short work yeah it's been a little bit of a different story and i think he got blown up in his first uh in his first appearance and then he's been solid after that and you kind of look at that situation you know hey baltimore isn't going to win a lot of games but the depth of the pen behind him is really weak, right? A bunch of guys like Paul Fry, who gave up four runs, is the day that we recorded uh, in the ninth inning, and then Dylan Tate and you know Tyler Wells was moved out of the out of the um, uh, in, into the rotation, things like that. And so it seemed like a pretty clear job. And at that point, I kind of had to go against my own distaste displeasure of Jorge Lopez and just realize, hey, team context wise, this makes sense. This is something where I can spend more than three percent of my budget because I really need the closer. And I think he will have longevity with the job, that he will keep the job for the year. The Munoz guys, we're going to be spinning our wheels with them all the time. Say Paul Seward comes in and, and gets three saves this week. Guess what? People are going to be dropping Munoz. So it's this constant game of of uh, of, of uh, musical closers that we're you know playing every year.
0: I also like the fact that Lopez now plays in more of a pitcher's park, if you can believe it, in Baltimore. Uh, pitcher's parks in general – tend to have more save opportunities because when you have low scoring in general, you have more close games. And even if the Orioles are not a fantastic team, when they're in a position to win, they're going to be close and that'll give more save ops. Same thing in Oakland, pitchers park. You're going to have more save ops, San Diego, same thing, more save ops. If you go to Colorado, one reason not to, even though, uh, including the fact that Colorado does not have fantastic closers, um, games are going to be more lopsided. When the Rockies win, they can win by a lot of runs. There's less save ops in general in a more offensive, a more offensive environment.
1: And the closers you're looking at, I'd say look at also their K rates, their walk rates, because if their walk rates are through the roof like Gregory Soto the last couple of years, they may get the job, but they may, they may not be able to keep it. And again, uh, Vlad, you're 100% right. It's the team philosophy. If the team philosophy is – one closer and that's it. You should spend more on that one guy. If it's more of a group setting, then you know what? Sometimes you should pay that more extra buck if they have good ratios, if they're not walking the park because there's a good chance that they'll get more high leverage situations and be in a position if, if you're not going to get saves, you can get wins.
0: You know, I've been finding usually I, I used to pick players that I thought were next in line in terms of middle relievers. These days, I'm actually going more for the Garrett, Whitlock, Michael King types uh, to have on my roster and say, well, the heck with saves. Uh, I'll spend less, and I'll get these middle relievers that are going to give me, oh, my God, ratios. Uh, I find to be playing less of the guessing game. And for that reason, I agree with Vlad. Um, Before the season, the draft, spend a lot more on closers than you would normally do to really avoid this closer game, which I think is a lot more efficient to get in the draft capital phase of your fantasy year rather than in the fab capital phase. I, I'm you, you definitely fully agree with that, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. You you kinda just uh kinda nailed it on the head right there. Yeah.
0: All right, let's do some waiver wire picks. That's uh players that we think that you might be interested in picking up this week. Vlad, who are a couple guys that you're interested in?
2: Uh, taking an early look, I, uh, I, I actually did pick up, uh, out of, uh, Odubel Herrera in TGFBI last week. So my, my fab article comes out on Saturday and usually some things change over the weekend. So I do a Sunday update and I included Odubel in a uh, 15 team uh, consideration just because, you know, he's, uh, he'd been on IL. We know that he's got a little speed, a little pop playing in a good lineup, knew he was pretty much going to hit in the bottom of the lineup, but. Uh, being a lefty bat was going to be the strong side of the platoon with Matt Vierling, and that's been the case. And then uh, just the other day, he hit a uh, had a home run and a double, had a big game, and was the leadoff man. So maybe he gets some more uh, some more leadoff opportunities. But uh, the, here, and this is part of the uh, circling back to what we were talking about earlier, a little bit of regret where like it was it was uh, when I was doing my bidding for main events, I was like, you know what, I I'm dropping Cooper Hummel. I really want Odebel Herrera, but because I know I can get him for a couple of dollars, chances are I'm probably going to get someone that I have prioritized higher above him, and that ended up being the case. And guess what? Now he's going to go, you know, if he has another nice game, he's going to go for like, you know, 20-plus dollars or whatever, and then I just end up not getting the guy that I, I felt I was early on, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it happens all the time. Anyone else?
2: uh i mean you know i don't think drew rasmussen's available in many leagues he might have been dropped in some 12 teamers because he had a, a a rough start to the year but uh uh he had uh, i think a career high nine strikeouts he's a he's a fantastic arm i think he will be a good ratio help this season uh we're available you can pick him up he's probably going to line up for two starts on the road at oakland at seattle maybe the seattle one could be troubling but he can uh, maybe handle some business uh and then i'd be looking at royals uh simply because uh they have a very nice schedule coming up, and, and I tweeted about this earlier as we recorded on Wednesday or Thursday uh, how uh, it's going to be time for Bobby Wood to get going, hopefully in the power department. But uh, starting next th- Friday, they're going to get three games at Baltimore, which, as you mentioned, isn't as good as it used to be, then three games at Texas, also not a great park but some bad pitching, and then three games at Coors. So maybe guys like Nicky Lopez, Hunter Dozier, maybe even Kyle Isbell might be on, on the radar.
0: All right, move in.
1: I got three players. I got a hitter, I got a starter, and I got a reliever. I'll start with the hitter, Santiago Espinal. If he's available, he's he plays second place. He plays third base. He hit for average last year. This year, he's batting two sixty two homers, 10 RBIs, two stolen bases, and he's only 18% owned in CBS. So he may be available. He's not a full-time player, but he's a jack-of-all-trades. He's going to play wherever the... Blue Jays need him for that day. The reliever, RL, you mentioned already, Michael King. He's only owned in 30% 30 of CBS League, which is crazy. In 13 innings, 20 strikeouts, .69 ERA, one whip. He's pitching in high-leverage situations. He took over one game for Chapman who when he walked the the ballpark, and he came into a bases-loaded situation and got out of it with nobody out and got the save. He's been pitching lights out. He may be the Yankees' new, quote-unquote, Chad Green or – Chad Green, Jr., whatever you want to call it. And another pitcher, Chris Paddock. Yes, Chris Paddock. He's on the Twins. He has three starts so far. His three starts. he First start, he gave up three runs. Second start, he gave up two runs. Last start, he gave up one run. In 14 and two-thirds innings so far, 13 strikeouts. He's only owned in 35% of CBS Leagues, and he's starting. They have room for him. Um Bailey Ober just left the game with a groin injury after three and two thirds injury in, in innings. We don't know how long he's gonna be out for. This only ensures that Chris Paddock will get a lot more looks to start
0: yeah paddock thirty five percent on, on c b s uh I was gonna use him for my pitcher preview today um he's got a third pitch this year, which that the what was really. Holding him back, he looks great. Uh, I like Chris Paddock here. And you mentioned King. Um, I mean, we talk about on the show that, you know, the Chad Green types are enormous. I mean, Garrett Whitlock, he's the same type. Uh, if you don't, if King's available even in shallow leagues, give him a look. Uh, but I'll throw a couple of other guys in no particular order. Dan Vogelbach, 20% owned, power guy. The dude is leading off. If you're leading off, you're getting a lot more counting stats here. He's batting over 300 with three homers so far. 20% owned. Sounds like uh, you could do worse. Joey Wendell. Marlins are really hot. Marlins have a good team this year, actually. Their pitching is enormous. Um, Wendell qualifies second, third short, batting 333, one homer, and more importantly, three stolen bases. That's got to be helpful for your squad, right? Check out him. Eric Hosmer. Um, I mean, I, I'm usually higher on him than in the past. But this is, shows you the reason why he's always there. He somehow manages to get some value if in the aggregate for the season. He's streaky. He never gives you a terrible average, won't give you a lot of homers. But he's usable. He's definitely usable in formats, um, especially, especially deep formats. Look at him. And uh, Danny Jimenez on Oakland, three straight saves for the athletics, only 30% owned. Like I said, Oakland could get some uh, save opportunities. I'd give him some consideration. P- pitcher preview, and uh, before we do the pitcher preview, time for the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week.
1: Well, we're going to talk about the pitchers now for, the, for a pitcher preview, so I thought I'd throw this little trivia out for this young season. So far, Vlad, Ariel, who are the top three ERA leaders in MLB so far for starters, having started four games? Who do you think are the top three ERA for the entire MLB for four starts?
0: Pablo Lopez, I know, is there.
1: Pablo Lopez is number one at .39, which is ridiculous. Vlad?
2: Oh, it's like a trivia thing. Trivia. Okay. yeah. Uh, Lo- I know Logan Gilbert's in the mix.
1: Logan Gilbert's number two at .4. It's like an alcohol level here. Point four. he's just really pitching well. Now, who's number three? Is uh, Carlos Redon on there? He's on the list, but it'll drop lower down. Okay. The answer is someone we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Bruce Zimmerman. His ERA right now is point nine three. All the runs he gave up today were actually unearned because The Orioles can't get out of their own way sometimes. We actually picked him up in a bunch of leagues this past week because Ian Kahn tipped us off to him in last week's podcast. We picked him up in almost every league. So if he's available, he's available. Only 26% of CBS people own him so far, so he's a guy you should definitely get. He's got two possible starts, Minnesota and Kansas City. His ERA, I mentioned, is .93. His whip for the year is 1.19. He's got 21 strikeouts in 20 innings, so he's... Striking people out, he's keeping people off base. He may not give you wins because he's on the Orioles, but he's still someone to watch out for. Another pitcher to watch out for, and Vlad, you mentioned him, Tyler Wells. He was supposed to be the possible closer coming into the season. He's only three percent owned in CBS. Don't be fooled by his five and a half ERA right now. In his last three starts, not the f- for first start, where he gave up five runs. His last three starts, his ERA with three point one eight eight strikeouts, and 11 in a third innings. The question about him is whether or not he's going to give you a, enough length to get you a win, but so far he's been pretty good, and again, he's a Baltimore pitcher. That ballpark is a little bit better. The Baltimore Orioles may not get you a lot of wins, but their pitchers seem to be trending in the right direction.
0: You know, I, I've, I've heard, Vlad, you talk about how Bruce Zimmerman is going to probably hit a wall and, and get walloped. Uh, I kind of agree, although I like his next couple of starts. Yeah. So I, I I don't mind riding him right now till he's hot and just pulling him before some tough matchups.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I uh, if you guys caught this in the I think second week of the season, um, I uh, I tweeted about it before his two step week, and one of them was against the Yankees. I said I was playing him, and I said, "Hey, careful! Don't don't take my advice unless you like to kind of play with fire." And he gave up no runs in both of those starts. So I played him in, in some 15-team DCs where, where I had him drafting holds and got lucky. So at some point I'm gonna just you know kind of uh, take my take my, my my shekels while I can and, and uh, you know uh, be, be be careful before the damage hits. But you're right. I think these are two really nice home starts for him.
1: And those two and Taylor Tyler Wells also he has the same two starts. He's Minnesota and Kansas City. So that's not too shabby either.
0: Yeah. You know Zimmerman Sierra is three three two four, uh, and his uh, his FIP is two eight one. I mean he he's it's not like he's getting extremely lucky. Um, he his gramble rate is not phenomenal. Uh, his swing strike looks great. His K rate looks great. So there's a lot of good in him. He's certainly worth rostering now, just in case. I uh, mean that's what Ian Khan was mentioning on the show last week. Um, I'll mention a few other guys. Um... Eliezer Hernandez, I was always very high on him. Now, he's got a brutal start to the year, 587 ERA, 137 whip, but 377 Sierra, his homer-to-fly ball ratio looks inflated. Strikeout ratio is okay-ish at 22, walk rate 6%, okay-ish. He's got good matchup. He's playing Arizona this week. I kind of like that outing. And I'll give you one more guy that is playing uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Michael Pineda. Um, just because it's Pittsburgh. That's the, the only reason I'm recommending him. Uh, but I'll mention one other guy, uh, Michael Waka. He looked phenomenal so far. His two-start week coming up against the Angels and the White Sox. The White Sox are not phenomenal right now. They've lost some some mustard, so not a bad start, and Red Sox can score runs. The opportunity for wins is there. I, I like Michael Wacca. A- anybody else, Vlad?
2: Uh, no, you guys uh, you covered Zimmerman, I think, um, I think one guy that that we—it may be dangerous to to start, but someone that uh, is—what happens with him this week is pivotal to his uh, inclusion or continuation in the rotation is Jake Odorizzi. Uh, He gets a couple of uh, decent matchups, actually, against the Seattle Mariners and the Detroit Tigers. Tigers are just horrendous right now, right? I mean, at some point— uh, those guys will get going. Grossman, Meadows, Bias, everyone's just kind of slumping all at the same time. Baez is a little better than the rest. Keel Badu is a, just a, a off the map altogether. Uh, but at some point, those guys will get going. But not yet. I think Detroit's usually a great matchup for uh, for pitchers.
0: I think I'd rather take a chance on Christian Javier, who's fifty percent owned. So in uh, twelve team leagues, maybe he's available. Uh, Astros right now doing a six man rotation, but Javier, yeah, he, he's interesting. So I, I think I'd prefer him.
2: Oh yeah, and in, in, in that in in that case, it's not even close. If, if Javier's yeah. available and Odorizzi, you just you take the talent in Javier. Yeah.
0: Couple of mailbag questions. Uh, got some good ones this week. Uh, Ian asks, can you talk through some buy low guys like Reynolds and Marte? I'm assuming Brian Reynolds and Kettle Marte. And to pair it up, Aaron asks a question: Would you trade Kershaw for Joe Ryan? And Brian Reynolds, I think I would trade Kershaw for Joe Ryan, who's phenomenal, and Brian Reynolds good value in that one. Um, my perspective in Reynolds is by low. kettle Marte I'm, I don't know he he's not looked great so far, striking out quite a bit. He's usually uh, a low teen strikeout rate he's doubled that, and his hard contacts wear way down. Uh, Vlad what's your take on Kettle Marte and uh, Brian Reynolds?
2: I mean, it's kind of a uh, notice what they both have in common. They're both play on two of the worst offenses in baseball. Maybe there's just something I mean, not to say that they're not trying, but it really does stink when uh, there's not a lot of winning and not a lot of, um, you know, action going on with with guys on base for you and and guys driving you in. So there's something to that. So uh, I think Kendall Marte is a great buy low. If if you think that somebody is, is willing to to give him up, especially with the fact that he's Probably going to get traded at some point. I mean, I could see him on you know on the Yankees on on very many possibilities, very many teams. I think he might uh, might fill in on. Maybe maybe he'll get over to your Mets, so you guys don't have to keep uh, keep playing uh, uh, Robinson Cano there.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, two Martes on the same team—that would be fun. Oh, that's well, happened before, Didn't right?
1: Didn't both Marte and Reynolds just get contract extensions from both teams? So I think they, they may did. be pressing a little bit, both of them. So I, I think they will turn yeah. it around. Again, it may be the weather. I mean, look look at the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks had to play the Mets twice, and the Mets have the best ERA. Well, have one of the best. Uh, rotation areas in all the baseball. So they just run up against pitchers who are hot also. So, you know, it, it, I, I think that there there will be a time. Kettle Marte is more—I think Kettle Marte is a little bit more proven than Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds will come around, but, I mean, both of those offenses, there's nobody around them to help him
0: out. Yeah, and by the way, in the question of Kershaw trading Kershaw for Ryan and Reynolds, remember, Kershaw will be sitting at some point. Yeah, he's not going to pitch 200 innings. And if you looked at his value before the season, the projection for him, it baked into the fact that he would be out. But remember, we're a month into the season or close to it, and he's been playing. So his projection going forward is actually lower than his preseason projection because we didn't even hit the innings that he's not going to be out. Uh, I would much rather have Reynolds and Ryan, that combination.
2: Well, that doesn't even make sense, actually, that trade, because wouldn't you say that Kershaw and Joe Ryan are pretty close to value? And then on top of that, you're getting a top 100 overall pick in Brian Reynolds? It's, it's oh, it's, it's
0: it's a wackadoodle, yeah. And Kershaw, maybe I'd value more than Ryan, but that's a wackadoodle trade. You're getting Brian Reynolds, who is worth more than both. Yeah. Well, here's a question.
1: Who pitches more innings this year? Um, Joe Ryan or Clayton Kershaw? Because remember, Ryan didn't pitch that many innings last year. He's going to have a limit on him. He's not going to pitch 175 or 200 innings this year. So he may end up pitching the same amount of innings as Kershaw.
2: I'll say Ryan because I I feel very little faith that Kershaw is going to stay healthy all year. I hope he does, but I don't think so.
0: We don't know that Ryan's going to absolutely be limited. We know that Kershaw will be limited, so and he can get injured more likely. So uh, it's, to me, it's Ryan, not close. Steven asks, um, for the Auction Masters, how do you approach certain players in auction that you're lukewarm on overall, but you feel they're about to sell for a lower value than they were projected? Uh, For example, Eduardo Rodriguez was one for me, and it's a tough spot for him. So he's basically asking, how do you feel about guys who you probably were high on because they were projected well, but now they're started pretty poorly. Uh, Do we just sell them a little bit lower, or do they turn it around? It's kind of a touchy-feely question. Um, I I think it's always, in general, a little bit too early for, for determining anything. Uh, I think it's case specific usually, but in general, um, no, I, I wouldn't cut bait or I wouldn't sell low after just three and a half weeks. You agree? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm generally not selling low ever. And as a matter of fact, uh, I know people are saying, you know, if, with trades, obviously you want to get fair value. No, if I'm trading, I want to get the better value, right? It's like the, the, this is why Fred Zinke is, is, is the master, you know, trade master. And I know you guys are, are pretty good at it too. But when you're making a deal, it may look even to both sides, but you want to like, you know, why am I going to trade something that's going to be of like marginal value of like even value or it might end up going your way. I want to make a trade where I can kind of feel where I'm getting the advantage, even though on paper it may not look so.
1: And also, Eduardo, Eduardo, Rodriguez, you didn't pick him with your one of your last three picks, supposedly in a fifteen-team league. So there's no reason why you should cut bait on him. We've paid, played maybe with three and a half, four weeks of the season. The season is five and a half or six months long. You don't, if you drafted this guy, you're not going to get rid of him this quickly because he's. Technically, you're either third, fourth starter or fifth starter. You you can't cut spate so quickly on these guys. You've got to have a little bit of patience. You may not want to play them. You may want to sit them and see if things turn around, and you can stream in the meantime, but I wouldn't cut them yet.
0: Always depends on who you can replace them with, of course, as well. Uh, Anthony Galdi uh, asks, After a few weeks, do you, Vlad, or Ariel, feel any of your prep and evaluation process will change for 2023? Would you do anything differently? Would you take more early starting pitchers, take outfielders early, fade relief pitchers, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Um, he basically asked the question, have we seen anything right now that if we were to do this all again, we would really do something differently? What's, well, what's if it's you? for
2: 2022 and we knew what we knew now, it can go back a few weeks. Yes, of course. But for 2023, I think right. it's too too early to start assessing that. I think the the biggest takeaway is to be open to all sorts of strategies, right? If a lot of the high stakes guys were taking closers and taking hater in the second round and a lot of people were questioning it because it just kind of doesn't make sort of common sense Um, in that specific format. Those were draft and hold uh, where you cannot pick up anyone in draft and hold, right? You can't pick anyone up the entire season and you know, the closer situation is a mess. You want to get a nice solid asset, right? You know, nobody knew that Hayter's going to have 10, uh, 10 staves, uh, not even a month into the season, or that Hendricks has been kind of playing herd and tipping pitches. But, right, I mean, just can can go either way. My biggest takeaway is just be open to anything for any strategy, and if a lot of smart people are doing a certain thing, uh, you know, don't be stubborn. Maybe look why they're doing it.
0: Yeah. Anything to add, Ruven And maybe you can even answer this question as far as what you— Maybe what you should have done, not for any specific player, obviously. Well, I should have picked that guy, but like as an overall methodology, or strategy difference, even for this year.
1: No, because it's too early. I don't think your strategy for this year has been proven right or wrong yet. A lot of the right now for three weeks. If if the season was three weeks, like when it's in the twenty twenty season, it was a two month season. A lot of it was luck. A lot, a ton of it was luck. For three weeks, I think it's the same thing. This is a marathon. You're not going to change your whole philosophy based on just the three and a half weeks that we've seen so far. I think that I would have done everything the same. You'd still buy value, and there's no reason why not to buy value. Yeah,
0: I agree in general. I mean, yes, it's early, and look, spring training was short, so it's tough to gauge. Um, There's one variable, though, that I see that makes me think a little bit different. It might actually change my mind for certain things later this year. The ball is different, or at least the ball is different than what we anticipated. The ball is more deadened than we anticipated. Either it's the humidor or the tack of the ball. I don't know what it is. Uh, But the homers are down. To me, the value of power hitters and the value of no-doubter power hitters goes up. Since homers are down, the surefire power hitters got to be up. Guys like Aaron Judge, even Joey Gallo, who's lower in value, he's actually, to me, for the rest of the season, worth a lot more than you would have thought. If I would have changed what I would have done, I probably would have put a little bit more of a premium on those pure power hitters that just go there. Rafael Devers, I think, who's going to have a lot of homers, I'd also put a premium on that. It's the power to me. That is the one thing if I had to say, all right, new strategy for 2023, increase the power hitters. Sounds good?
1: I guess I I, yeah. I guess, but but where are you taking it out of? You're gonna you're gonna spend less on starting pitching, and you spend I guess you spend less on on closers because the closers is just so variable. So you take you take the some of your your planned budget out of the closers, and you th- and you throw it into the power. And that, that's something I've always preached, and you know that, Ariel. Whenever you go into a draft, I always say power, 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 no matter what, because you never know when that power switch gets turned off.
0: I'm not sure I would take it out of closers. I'm not sure if I would change. I'm not sure if I would change the hitter versus pitcher split right now. Maybe, maybe a little bit away from pitchers. I I would say that pitchers seem a little bit more fungible this year than we anticipated. Right, the true aces. I mean, we mentioned Joe Ryan. He's you know he's a great pitcher. They're more fungible this year. So I maybe I would put a little bit less into pitching in general and more into hitting. But yeah, it's just the overall spread of of statistics when you're coming up with your numbers. Give a little bit of the edge to power. Everything else in proportion falls. That's all I'm saying. So, um, all right. We have a question from a couple more. These are good questions. Matthew asks of the. In- this is a question for Ruvein of the injury returnee pitchers. Whom are you most optimistic about, and whom are you least optimistic about? Castillo, Clevenger, Snell, DeGrum, Flaherty. Flaherty.
1: Snell and Clevenger, I am very nervous about. They have they have not just one injury, but they have all. These of them have at least multiple t- different types of injuries going on. So I'm a little bit concerned about all those three. I'm nervous about them. I actually don't have any shares of any of them because coming to the season, they're always to me they're injury risks, and they have value, but but not enough for me to have actually invested in them. But Luis Castillo, he has two more rehab starts coming, so you're not going to still get him for another about ten days or or two weeks. So he's someone I I if you you're able to buy low on, or if you want to try to trade and to try to get because a shoulder injury, um, I think it was just shoulder fatigue. They didn't really find any structural damage with him, so I'm not overly concerned with him. And who's the other one?
0: Degrom. Oh,
1: oh yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> um. D- yeah. Of course, Degrom. If he pitches only from July 1st, which is very possible because he's just starting now to ramp up activities to build up the strength of the muscles in the shoulder. Not even to pitch, but just to build that up. If he pitches only from July 1st or even July 15th until the end of the season, if he can even come close to duplicating, not, not exactly, but what he did last year... He, his, he can be off the charts, and he can be a number one pitcher for some teams, and he's just as good as as picking up a trade piece at the deadline. That's, I guess, that's what the Mets are thinking, also.
0: I'll take anything from Degrom that I can get. Do you any yeah. contradiction by you, uh, Vlad, to what Ruvain said? Do you agree?
2: Yes, uh, for the most part, because I would have Luis Castillo as the guy I feel most confident about, and I do think at some point the uh, the Reds end up trading him. And uh, just ends up in a, in, in a good spot on a, on a playoff team. And I think he'll be he'll be fine uh, for the second half of the season. Uh, DeGrom is obviously the big wild card. Uh, have him in a couple spots. And would absolutely love to just see him be healthy and, and pitching well for for a few months. Um, I will add, I do have a couple of Jack Flaherty. I know a lot of very sharp people were very anti-Flaherty. Um, I'm just thinking back to the good old days when he was healthy. When he was comped to Walker Bueller. And they both had incredible kind of breakout seasons together. Uh, I think there's something to him. If he's healthy, he'll be fine. I just don't know if he will be this season. Either way, next season, uh, he's going to be probably pretty cheap.
0: All right. Uh, we have a couple more questions on the light side. Rudy Gamble asks, is it true that Ariel's mom invented Chex Mix? What in the is world it? He talk- no. <laughs> Do you know what he's talking about?
2: I have no idea, but I know he's a he's a fun. I know he's a funny guy, and so uh, I think it's I think it's probably just something random. Because when I saw that, I was like, "Whoa! If that, that's true, that's amazing."
1: No, but I do I do know I do know that your mom once yelled at a politician, and it made YouTube. I did see that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a uh, a three minute clip of my mother yelling at Anthony Weiner. Uh, this is before anything happened with him yelling at him at a, uh, a town hall. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, though, that it, along the lines of this Chex Mix thing, uh, my cousin actually used, was the one who produced all the Tony the Tiger commercials back in the 80, uh, 80s and 90s. They're great. You know, you know those <laughs> ones. Uh, my That was my cousin who actually made all those commercials, by the way.
2: That, did you do the sure. voice of Tony? Because that was pretty good. <laughs>
0: They're great. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I did not do those voices. Uh, I actually did a, a couple of – uh, I did a couple of impressions on uh, the Athletic uh, uh, podcast, by the way. If, check that out if you didn't. Uh, I, I impersonated Nando and Michael Beller and even George Washington. I uh, yeah, would we'll do some voices here and there for fun. But, uh, yes, the Tony the Tiger thing is real. Checks mix, not real. Uh, and looks like Rob Silver asks uh, another lighthearted question. I understand you're looking for players for your softball team. Looks like Matt Modica is a free agent. Two questions: What kind of contract are you willing to offer him, and what projections would VDP and ATC release for Matt for the 2022 season?
2: Well, actually, this is this is a question for Vlad. How much fab would you spend on Matt? <laughs> it it depends how much it depends how much uh, he's bringing from the from the local uh, Italian deli. If he's bringing <laughs> all the goods, you know, the salam, the prosciutto, you know, all, all that stuff, and the arancini, then uh, then we're talking. Then we could spend some fab.
0: Yeah. Well, Matt, you're welcome on our team. I don't know how well you play, but, uh, you know, if you are a good player, let me know. I started my nighttime uh, softball league uh, yesterday, and uh, we we ended up ta- – it was uh, 44 degrees uh, at, uh, at game time, and the wind was 25 miles an hour. Anything to the outfield was just literally a swirl. Like there was a ball that was hit dead center, and it ended up foul on the right side. It was crazy. Our team made 12 errors we we tied the game 7-7 seven, seven, but the big number in the game guess how many whiffs i had le- yes last night i had pitching of course
2: uh 7 6, six.
0: Fif- 15 whiffs i wow. was on on my game really this and somebody recorded it on a video so i do have proof of that uh, so i'm going to see if i can and get and i it.
1: guess i guess spider tech is now sponsoring our show
0: <laughs> you know it's funny <laughs> Uh, the first two innings, I, could, I, I was so cold I couldn't feel the ball, and I, I couldn't get any fastballs going. Everything was just a lob over, and then I, I, I brought in uh, Rosin, and uh, I put that on, and holy cow, all of a sudden everyone just whiffed. So uh, listen, the, the gripping the ball is a very important thing, and I know I'm not a major league baseball player, but even on the softball context, Rosin works. It's very important to grip the ball properly or you can't get your pitches going. There we go. Advice for fantasy leagues, advice for softball leagues. We do it all here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, Anyways, uh, we're up to the injury update. Ruvain, what do we got this week? All right,
1: well, we'll start off with Eloy Jimenez, we mentioned him earlier. He had surgery to repair his right torn hamstring this past Tuesday. He's expected to be out until mid or early June, so just keep that in mind. Nick Lodolo was placed on the aisle with low back, with a lower back strain. He's only expected to miss one or two starts, so you don't have to drop him. He is a nice guy to be able to stream because he is, a high, he is one of the Cincinnati Reds' highly regarded prospects. Will Myers was placed on the IL with an aggravated bruise between his right thumb and index finger. The earliest he can return is May 7th. Look for Matt Beattie to actually take some playing time from him. Gary Sanchez missed actually the last few games almost a week with an abdominal tightness. And last I heard, they're still waiting to get the results and see exactly what's going on on that MRI. He still could possibly end up on the IL, which means Ryan Jeffers can get some more playing time. So... two-catch league, and he's available. Or if it's one-catch league, you want to take a, a week for him, he's, he's a good guy to have. Jose Altuve is is doing a rehab assignment right now. He's expected to return to the lineup, the Astros lineup, next week. David Fletcher, who's on the I.L. with a strained left Hip, he went through an extensive on-field workout. He should be back this weekend. He already had a rehab assignment. Lance Lynn, he's progressing in the throwing program. He should be back by the end of May. So you got, like, still got another four weeks till he, he comes back. Um, Ryan Presley, they kept saying his return is imminent, but Dusty Baker said that he is, quote, not quite ready. Um, Eddie Rosario, he's another guy who started off with a very slow start. Why? He had a problem with blurred vision and swelling in his right eye. He needed surgery to fix it. He's going to be out for eight weeks. I think their replacement, they activated Acuna. I think that that's fine over there. And Johan Mankat is actually scheduled to begin a rehab assignment this weekend. He's still feeling some tightness. He's going to try to play through it, and we'll see how that works out.
0: Yeah, Ronald Acuna back today. Two stolen bases. That's a phenomenal sign. Uh, we were talking before the show started that the plan is, you said, ruvein the plan is that he's going to sit tomorrow, play Saturday, sit Sunday, which would give yes, him only that's, one that's, game. That's the plan.
1: They're gonna they're gonna ease him back in. He's he played today, which was Thursday. He's not gonna. They said he's not gonna play Friday. Will play Saturday. Not gonna play Sunday, and then possibly go full time or at least more of a full time basis next week. They are playing the Mets next week, so it is a divisional matchup. So they want him back and they want him ready to go. Um, I wouldn't be surprised also if they haven't played DH a couple of games and just try to slow him down because he's a very aggressive player to begin with. So they may just do that just to try to. Slow Slow him down. Although I don't see him slowing down because he stole two bases in his first game.
0: Was that manager's decision? I mean, that's that's it's unbelievable. You the first day you, you come back from this kind of injury and two stolen bases. So uh, Vlad, we have uh, we have Acuna in an NFBC league, uh, and of course you can activate him over the weekend for one game. Should we activate him or not?
2: Uh, as always, it depends on the alternative options, and uh, yeah, maybe it's somebody that. Uh, over the weekend uh, that you're, you're considering him up against I may only get two games. And I think maybe even one game from Acuna might be better than two games from a fringe guy. So uh, it's, you know, uh, depending on the situation.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we can play him or we can play, uh, Ryan Tyler, Mount, Tyler well, Wade, Tyler, Tyler Wade. Wade.
2: <laughs> you play, yeah, you play Acuna over Tyler Wade for sure, especially <laughs> with Fletcher coming back. And then, um, and you said Mountcastle, I think he's, he's also injured. Yeah. 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 I think it's to meant get, to three boys.
1: More, we can also play him over Marcana. I think he's a play over Marcana because Marcana has no extra base hits this year yet. He's all singles. He's getting on base, but he's all singles.
2: Yeah. Acuna, yeah. Two stone bases in your first game is a sign.
0: One game of Ronald Acuna. That's how much he's worth, guys. Uh, that guy is good. Uh, and I think that'll make him, it's a good sign that the value that you paid for him actually might be there. Uh, and certainly if your t- your fantasy team is doing fine uh, and you have them on your roster and you're fine through the first month, it's a great sign that you're about to pick up a heck of a good player right now. So there you go. All right. Uh, this was a fantastic episode, as we knew it would be, Vlad. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And why don't you tell uh, the audience where we can find your stuff and where all things uh, we can reach for uh, Vlad Sedler.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm always around, uh, or, well, I guess when I'm, uh, as long as I'm not sleeping, then uh, usually I'm, I'm around, but uh, uh, at RotoGut on Twitter. And uh, our site is ftnfantasy.com. Uh, I do my weekly fab article and, and a bunch of other stuff, hanging out in the Discord all the time, answering questions. And we have a high-stakes package, too, where I basically help you out with your team and fab decisions and everything throughout the course of the year. Other than that, I want to thank you guys for uh, for having me on. It's always a pleasure to uh, to talk to y- you guys. Uh, you know, coming on once a year, it's uh, it's it's always a a, a, f- a fantastic experience for me, and uh, I always love talking to you guys. And I wish you lots of luck this fantasy season.
0: Thank you, and, and same to you, and and always enjoy having you on the show. Uh, Ruvain, uh, why don't you just tell the audience about you?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates throughout the course of the week, almost on a daily basis. I also have a weekly article for Roto Bowler discussing all the injuries I discussed tonight, as well as other injuries that are that I did not mention. Um, and at Vlad, I'd like to thank you because people call you the Roto Gut, and, and that's a, that's your Twitter handle for this podcast, Ariel's Number Guy. And I always say go with the gut, and Ariel hates it when I say go with the gut.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but Ariel, but then we can let him know that that also means the gut also is also based on our informed numbers that are already computing in our head. So it's kind of best That's of both true. worlds.
1: Yeah, but but he's, Ariel, you are the numbers guy, and I always say gut, 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 and you say, oh, yeah, you always poo-poo it just a little bit.
0: Uh, playing the percentages in baseball, guys. Uh, yeah, but you're right, Vlad. It's you're not just going on a whim. And oh, I think it's breezy today outside, so let's play yeah. this guy. It's obviously informed and it's from experience. And uh, you are an analytical person, so it is from the numbers at mm-hmm. at the heart. You know, I mean, you have your own set of projections. I'm assuming that you go by them uh, as, as well. Yes. By the way, uh, we had a little uh, thing on Twitter about francisco lindor earlier i can't remember exactly what it was we couldn't agree on an over under number but i knew you were on the higher side what is francisco lindor doing now and uh are you are you still very high on him
2: yes yes i'm um, just uh sad that i did not get enough of him uh got him on a i did not get him on any of my main event teams uh but i did get an one amazing deal where i think i got him at like 50th overall that i felt was uh was good so Obviously he's off to a great start, and uh, the Mets are looking good. But what's funny, he's he's right around that number right now. I think he's at two seventy three, yes. which is right around the number we were talking about. So that's pretty yes. funny.
0: Yeah, preseason ATC projections I only had him at two fifty six average, um, and I, I was higher on the, uh, my personally than that, uh, but I, I wasn't anywhere near the two seventy three number. Uh, but yeah,
2: and you know what? He can end up hitting your two fifty ish, and then yeah. but then you know if he gets his uh, hundred plus runs, RBIs, twenty stolen bases, twenty five homers, then it's a it's a win for us all.
0: Yeah, oh absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like I'm looking at, uh, for example, Steamer who does rest of season projections. Their preseason number was two fifty three, and their rest of season projection is two forty five. So even mm. after he had a hot streak, the numbers go down for them seems re- seems really odd, but uh, I don't know why that is, and maybe that's because of the context that he's not exactly barreling uh, balls; he's hitting the ball on the ground more. I don't know exactly what goes into the uh, the systems, but uh, certainly they're not treating him; they're not giving him. Uh, oh wow, he started well. Maybe he's on the upswing. It's only it went the other way. I, I have to talk to Jared Cross about why why uh, why that's true. Uh, a very interesting phenomenon here. Um, by the way, ATC rest-of-season projections, I've never had them before. Um, it's not official yet, but uh, we're working on them. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll be getting ATC rest-of-season projections on at Fangraphs. I know so many people keep asking for that. Uh, so uh, the request was overwhelming, and so uh, I think we might be doing that this year. So looking forward to that. Um, you can read my work over at Fangraphs, over at uh, Sportsline, and Baller. And, of course, uh, follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And you can, of course, listen to me every week here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right, well, that's a wrap for this show. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, It's been just a, a month or so into this season. We've got a lot more to go. More great guests coming on. More great analysis every week. So you know where to find us each week. Thanks again to Vlad Sedler for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.